0: Skills for Youth, LSY is about life and preparing them to be successful in life. When I was uh, coaching little league football uh, about 20 years ago, started seeing just these young parents not spending time with those, with their kids uh, as far as education. And God just showed me that this, gave me this vision. And uh, it, was, it was just living with life skills and we just started growing up and, and making it happen. Well, Life Skills for
1: Youth, short LSY, that's how most people here in Little Rock know it by, we focus on youth, mainly on underprivileged youth. We're trying to help out these kids that come from kindergarten all the way through high school. Once they reach a high school level, we're able to either get them into programs that will help them find jobs, careers, or even help them get into universities. Its name does live up to the hype, Life
0: Skills for Youth, particularly because it deals with various areas of those skills, where they deal with academic skills, employability skills, personal development, professional development, social development. Those are areas that are very crucial and vital to a child's life and well-being. I am the parent of a ten-year-old daughter, Jade. She's been going to L.S.Y. for four summers now. Here at L.S.Y. I see her growing um, as far as developing new relationships and new friendships. Um, I see her definitely thriving academically as a result of the after-school program and they make sure the kids get their homework done. LSY have uh, three different programs. They have an after-school program and in summer is June through August and also they have out-of-school uh, days when the schools are closed
1: we are open for the kids. One thing that's really really impacted me about here is 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 not only the staff, but how well they engage with the kids, how well they know their personal lives.
0: We make sure we get to know every child coming here because every child is different. I go and visit every one of these kids' houses. I, I see how they live. A lot of these kids are going through things that you and I never experienced. So you need to get to the root of what's going on with these kids. Around about 60 70% of these kids that are still reading below basic, We make sure these kids doing an after-school program get their homework done. And some kids, even at their school, they just don't have gyms. So we make sure they get fitness. And actually we've been doing Tai Chi, and uh, they do Zuma, and then of course, you know, they do whatever latest dance. And and a lot of kids, they have food, but they don't have the nutrition. So we make sure that we get them a full balanced meal here. Then we finish up homework or, we get into our enrichment programs or like a Spanish class reading club, math club, uh, technology program, the STEM. We're going to do
1: uh, a little theater this year. Very quickly I I got to hear about the program here at LSY and got to hear about uh, the mentors and the teachers and, and the heart behind it and how it began and how Larry had coached and taught his own kids and it kind of formed into this. It's just such a privilege to host Uh, life skills for youth here at South City. We get to see life from the community here uh, affected, changed, deepened uh, by people who greatly love them, and we get to be a part of that.
0: I would recommend this program to anyone. As a parent, it's always challenging to find some place where your kid can go. They can grow, they can feel loved, and be comfortable. And LSY has done all of that. For
1: my kid. Amen. I love LSY, and we have a great privilege to be a part of what God's doing through that program. Uh, and it's special to us because, one, we host it here in our facilities, but even more so maybe because the director and the guy that God gave the vision to for LSY is a part of our family, Right. And so we want to spend some time for you to get to know Coach Clark just a little bit better. Coach, come on up. So a little over two years ago, I come to uh, the church, come to Temple. And I remember this is one of the first folks I met. (laughs) Hey, brother. You all right? And uh, I knew I was going to be close to him from day one, just from the first time we met we connected on a heart level, and it was special. Um, and he's always been such a kind, uh, giving, serving uh, friend to me, and he's become one of my dearest friends, if I'm being honest with you. I call it, we talk all the time about the craziest stuff, you wouldn't believe. That's because we're close, right? <laughs> Somebody's got to put up with me, you know, and he's willing to do it. But uh, I love this man. And We all know you. We, we see you. We know about L.S.Y., but I'd love to hear uh, from you just... Just for a few minutes here, maybe some of the backstory, like how did you come to know the Lord? Just give us a little bit of information on kind of who you are and what what's what God's done in your heart and life.
0: Okay, thank you. Well, let me let me uh, get myself together because every time I see that video and the, and the parent yeah. on the video at the end yeah it's, I mean the first time I saw it uh, I didn't have sound but just seeing her the tears coming out of her eyes that's I mean that's. That's why we do what we do. Sometimes we don't understand the struggle that people go through. And Drew asked me about, uh, like I said, you guys don't know about me. Uh, my mother and father uh, divorced uh, when I was in the third grade. Uh, we moved off from a small town called England, Arkansas to uh, North Little Rock, and we, my mother and uh, I have three sisters. We lived in the projects, and it was hard. And you know, but we had that support. Uh, the YMCA uh, pastor by the name of Pastor Porch, which made sure that uh, everyone got what they need. Uh, he he knew everyone. Uh, when I was uh, 13, we moved. We finally got a house. We moved from. Uh, living in North Little Rock, living in East Gates to Rose City, the Rose City area. And at at the age of 13, of course, I was, uh, I wasn't a nice kid. I'll put it that way. (laughs) Uh, But God was always, we we had to go to church. We went to church. And uh, one of the things that uh, I did was, you know, I had a friend that he said, hey, come on, let's go. And we used to have weekly revivals. And uh, actually, I went there to uh, look at this little girl. But, <laughs> but uh, and it wasn't my wife. She's not here. But it wasn't my wife. <laughs> and uh, and it, you never know when that spirit is going to hit you. And I was there at that revival, and that spirit hit me then at the age of 13. And that's when I became, you know, that's when I accepted Jesus Christ.
1: Amen. I asked you this on the first time we had lunch, you know, <laughs> I said, I said, uh, I said, you know, he's been a part of the church that's been here, Temple, as well as South City for going on 10 years. And I said, coach, I mean, let's just, let's just be honest. Let's talk about the elephant in the room here for a second. You're the, uh, you're the only African-American in the church. And you've been the only African-American in the church for a long time. Why temple? Why, has, why are you here? What's, have, what's going on that God has brought you here to do what he's doing in you? And,
0: uh, I'll be honest. Uh, one thing I don't learn, I don't question God. And God placed me here. I remember I would drive up and down I-30 and... The softball field will be full. I look at this church and I, I'm like, "Wow, that is an awesome church." I mean, I don't know at what point it may be 600, 700 members that Temple Baptist uh, maybe had, but I know uh, God ended up placing me here,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and through those 10 years or 11 years, I have seen a lot. And believe me, if you if you walk out this door today and you don't believe there's a God, mm-hmm. something is wrong, mm-hmm. because I I saw this church go through a lot. Temple went through a lot, but what also I learned, and uh, Pastor Kid and Mother I'm calling Mother Sue, <laughs> but we talk about small groups. When we got down to about maybe Pastor, we say a hundred members. And we formed some small groups. And I can look around the room and I can see some of the faces that was in the small group. But I'm gonna tell you what we did in those small groups. We prayed, we prayed and you see it now. And I'm gonna tell you, we got a lot left to do. Mm-hmm. I don't want to steal Drew's sermon, but uh, Pastor Kid, no. I told him, can I be your Nehemiah? Mm-hmm. Can I help you rebuild this church? And that's, that's what we're doing. We're, that's what we want to do. We want to rebuild not only the church, this community. And we, we are doing it. And, and, you know, I love the story of Nehemiah because he was just a servant. Mm-hmm. And Nehemiah, listen to this. He didn't do it by himself no he did not do it by himself so please you know, and we partners and you, you guys saw the video please take, a, take time to get over there and come see some of those kids mm-hmm. this is very important they need to the love I need to love mm-hmm. I need to
1: help yeah they need to the help you know um we see what God is doing in our church, and I, I think it in in large part has to do with the faith of this man. He, he was willing to put a stake in the ground and say, I'm willing to be the only one for a while. I'm willing to be here, not based on my color, but based on this is what God's called me to do and be. And he's a man of character, and I love him dearly, and I'm so thankful. And God is using the seed of your faith and the seed of that sacrifice and, and difficulty. It wasn't easy to do, as you can imagine, for so many years, and God is using that to help us become the, the church God wants us to be, and that is a multicultural church, right? That's who God wants us to be. That's what this community is, and therefore, that's what he wants this church and the church to be. So tell me real quick, is there anything that you feel God's doing in your heart and your life right now, just something he's teaching you and something you're growing in?
0: Oh, yes. Uh, actually, uh, the, um... I, I, my grandmother came to me <laughs> last night in a dream, and the verse she told me to share with you guys is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk. Hmm. We live. And everything that Drew been talking about is you're moving. He talked about Hannah. Hannah got up and rode. We're moving.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's, that's what, I mean, when Drew told me, said, said Coach Clark, we're going we to talk to you. And for my grandmother, <laughs> who, mm-hmm. who told me, right. this vehicle is going to save a lot of people.
1: Yeah.
0: For her to come to me in my dream last night, and to share that verse, <laughs> I'm in the right place yeah. at the
1: right time. Thing. Amen. did you want to go ahead and just preach the message, or are you gonna to... <laughs> you gonna save me anything? <laughs> I love you. I love Coach Clark. He told me that the very first day. He said, I've told Brother Kid for a long time I'll be your Nehemiah. And uh, when I came on board, he said, Pastor, I'll be your Nehemiah. And so I couldn't begin to talk about the story of Nehemiah, which was what we're talking about today, and not involve Coach Clark. What, what he was saying to me and to Brother Jerry was, I'll help you do this. I'll, I'll help you rebuild, I'll help you restore, I'll help you do what God wants to do here, I'll be, I'll, I'll do my part." And that's exactly what he's done. We love you, Larry. We love Tammy. We love LSI, and We're so thankful for what God is doing in you guys. And uh, what a joy and privilege it is to partner with you. And I love that video. That video is, is on, online. If you would, would you share that video this week? We need you to share it, share it, share it. If you'll share it, raise your hand. Oh, we got some commitments today. Good. Okay. Share that when you get home, all right? Share that on Facebook. And let people know about the fundraiser that's coming up this weekend. It's going to be awesome. Well, this morning we're talking about the character of Nehemiah. It's one of my favorite stories from the Bible, especially what it teaches us about leadership. I'm always reading books about uh, business leadership and have a degree in business leadership and, and love kind of that conversation about what, is, what does it mean to lead. And the unfortunate reality is we got a lot of people saying a lot of things and not a lot of people doing just a few things. Right, We got a lot of people that have a lot of opinions about a lot of things and not that many people that go, I'll do it. I'll stand up and make a difference. That's what leadership is. And, and that's, that's just a, a beautiful, beautiful example that we're going to see from Nehemiah. The message this morning is called Nehemiah. And it's, uh, the secondary part says, Butler, brave heart, and Builder. And the hope, that I see, the hope that we see this morning is that we can all have those characteristics in our own walk with Jesus. That just as Larry was saying, there'll be seasons where we just serve. We just need to serve. We just need to love and serve people. And then there's going to be days where we need to fight and have strength and war against the enemy that comes against us. And there's going to be days we need to take the initiative to stand and build the responsibility to do something. And that's exactly what God did in Nehemiah's life. He moved him out of comfortable into responsible. That's what we need him to do in us. Move us out of comfortable and into responsible. Would you look with me in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1? The words of Nehemiah, he's literally writing this himself, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel at Hanani, one of my brothers uh, came with certain men from Judah and asked them, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And he said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And as I continued, I fasted, praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses, verse eight. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your uh, outcasts are in, are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. So a couple of things in in context. You might have noticed a few things that sounded familiar from our story of Esther and Mordecai. Anything stick out to you? Some places and some people and some things that, that sound very similar. Well, it's a little confusing. In your Bible. The story of Nehemiah comes before the book of Esther, right? We studied Esther and Mordecai, but the reality is chronologically, the story of Esther happened about 40 years before Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah happens in the exact same place. He said in Susa, in the citadel. This is the exact same place that the story of Mordecai and and Esther happened. Esther became queen about 479 B.C., and this takes place 40 years later, 440-ish B.C., Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king, which means he's a servant, he's a butler. He basically has to taste the food of the king and the wine and the drink to make sure that no one would poison him. So if Nehemiah kicks over, the the king says, I'll not have the biscuits and gravy today, right? That sort of a thing. So you can just imagine Nehemiah is a very trusted advisor because he's willing to lay his life down for this king. And therefore, he has a very high, lofty position. He's very well taken care of, right, because he's very trusted by the king, and yet he just serves the king. They have a good relationship. We also see that Nehemiah is concerned about the Jews. He has a heritage in Jerusalem. The idea of the temple and the walls and the city all represent who Nehemiah is and the, who his people are, the faith that he still believes very, uh, in a very real way. He loves God. It's going to be very evident in the story that he loves God. So when he hears the news that the city walls have been torn down, that it's a wreck, it literally breaks his heart. He says, I had to sit down, I had to weep and mourn. So this is is affecting him. He's not just sentimental though. And this is the first point on your card. We see that Nehemiah actually honors God. He's a man who honored God. I wanna be a man who honors God. And so one of the things that I want us to take away from this story is how do we as, as people of God honor God, right? The first thing we see from Nehemiah is that he has, a, he has an awareness of his own sin. Look back in verse um, six, I believe. He says, even I in my father's house have sinned. He acknowledges from the get-go, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. If you're gonna be a person who honors God, step one, Acknowledge your brokenness. Acknowledge your sinfulness. Acknowledge how far apart you are from a holy God. That we have no hope apart from from Jesus being our salvation and taking that sin away from us and giving us life everlasting. We have no other hope. The very first thing in honoring God is to realize, Lord, I, I have nothing apart from the grace that I have in you. Here's the next thing we see. He's sensitive to God. He's sensitive to the fact that the city of God is in the condition that it's in. He's sensitive to it, he says he fasted, he prayed, he wept, he mourned for Jerusalem. You know, a little over two years ago when I came back to the temple, we had had a little youth group reunion and I started hearing some things and, and I started feeling something I didn't expect to feel. I started My heart started breaking for the church. God had used this place and this, these people and this church in such amazing ways Helping plant churches, helping send missionaries, helping start a, an association of churches, helping start mission organizations. I mean, God had used this place in such a mighty way and it seemed like it was struggling and it broke my heart. I identify with Nehemiah. I really do. Because when, when I heard those things and I mean, even that day when I was here, I led our youth group. <laughs> yes, I, we're still be the youth group at this age, but uh, we were the youth group. You know, I said, hey, we need to pray for, ch- for the church. And I remember feeling brokenness in my, in my heart for the situation. People of God will be sensitive to the things of God. They'll be sensitive to the people of God, and they'll be sensitive to the plan of God. If you want to honor God with your life, who are the people that, that, that you should be sensitive to in the plan that God may have for your life? I believe he may have a plan for you. Even as we finish the message today, God may be showing you something that you can do, something that is in his plan that only you can do, that, that you're unique Design is blessed and gifted to do something amazing here in our church. So the next thing that we see about Nehemiah honoring God is that he's a a prayer warrior. All throughout the book, we see Nehemiah praying. I mean, from from the get-go, right? He's praying, he's praying, he's seeking God. We see him praying and weeping, which shows this intimate relationship with God and a faith in the sovereignty of who God is that is so special, 13 chapters in the book of Nehemiah and 11 times in those 13 chapters, it says, and so I prayed to the Lord. All throughout the story, he said, and so I prayed to the Lord. He had this ongoing relationship with God through prayer. His go-to posture was prayer. So if, he, if, he, if he's excited about something, he prays. If he's upset about something, he prays. If he's concerned, he prays. And I just began to ask myself this week, Drew, is your go-to posture, is it Prayer. Is that your go-to posture? When something comes on the scene, when it comes into your family, comes into your workplace, is your posture to go, Lord, help me with this thing, this moment, whatever I'm feeling. And we're going to see in just a minute that even just short little prayers shot to heaven can can show a relationship with God and an acknowledgement that he is in control of all things. Prayers should be continual, right? The Bible says it should be this ongoing conversation And that's what we see with Nehemiah. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, which, by the way, is the son of Xerxes, um, it says, when wine was before him. This is about four months after he's heard that Jerusalem's walls are are disheveled, okay? Four months later. He said, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad? Seeing you're not sick, this is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city of the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. See that in verse four? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, And if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Do you see verse 4? I love verse 4. You know, it's not like he was in front of the king. He said he's afraid, right? Because you shouldn't show emotion before the king. You should just be sort of this emotionless drone. "Eh, Give the wine, I go away. But he's upset. So he's afraid that being upset has drawn attention to the king in a bad way. So it says he shoots up this prayer. So I prayed to the Lord. It's not that he went, hey, excuse me, king, just for 20, 30 minutes. I'll be, I'll be, I'll just be over here. Right? He didn't take forever. Just in that moment, he just shoots up this prayer. God, help me say the right thing. Your prayers don't have to be these extended conversations. They can just be these little tiny moments of, God, I need you. God, do you hear me? God, will you help me? Will you help me say the right thing? Will you help me do the right thing? God, will you help me out of this temptation? Shoot up these prayers to heaven. God is listening. God is listening. Here's the next thing about people who honor God. They're authentic. I use this word almost too much, I'm sure, but it means a lot to me because there was a season in my life that I was not authentic. I didn't live in a way that was authentic or real. I faked it. And so now that I don't fake it, I don't want to fake it ever again, which means you're going to get the good, bad, and ugly, right? Because it's going to be the reality of the human life that I live. He's not faking it. Nehemiah goes before the king, and even though he's not supposed to show emotion, he does. And the king says, whoa, 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 what's going on? I've never seen you like this. You must be sad of heart. And it's that very authenticity that opens the conversation with the king to move the mission of God forward. You see that? We have to be an authentic people. We, it doesn't mean we just go to work and weep the whole time, right? But it also doesn't mean that we fake everything that's going on in our lives. We need to walk in the reality of where we are. That gets the king's attention. Next thing I want to say is this. People who honor God is, uh, are, there, are there people who honor civic authority as well. You see that he's honoring the king. He's submissive to the king. Now, we just came out of a voting season. We still got a vote coming up on December 4th for mayor, I know, and and we've got, believe it or not, we've got sitting here in this room today, we've got Republicans and Democrats and independents and who knows what else. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. But if you, if you look on the news, if you look on social media, man, we're just at each other's throats. There's vitriol over issues and, and candidates and, and different things. And I don't see a whole lot of people who know and love God honoring the people that God has put in place. So I want, this is what I want to give you some homework. Go home and take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and Romans 13. Would you do that? 1 Peter chapter 2 and Romans 13. Because what you're going to find is that the Bible tells us Peter and Paul both saying, hey, honor the people that I've placed above you in government. Respect them. Honor them. Pray for them. But that's not what we see even in the church sometimes. We see people hating dissenting, and all these different things. I'm not saying you have to agree with everything. I'm saying we honor and we respect and we pray for the people that God has placed above us. He's using them one way or another in his plan for his glory, and we have to accept that and and, and, uh, pray for them. Here's the next thing. People who honor God, they're willing to make personal sacrifices so that they can be a blessing and not a burden. Do you notice uh, Nehemiah's job is kind of a cush job? I mean, yeah, he might die after lunch. That's kind of, you know, an issue. But for the most part, he's taken very well, he's, he's taken very very good care of, you know. He's, he's probably got the best clothes and the best place to live. And he's probably got servants of his own and no telling because he's very high in position. He chooses to leave that position. He chooses to trade in his butler apron for a construction belt. He chooses to leave the risk of maybe some poison, which wasn't that big of a risk, to lead a fight against enemies who wanted to kill him. Sometimes people who honor God, we have to make sacrifices. Sometimes we have to make a choice that's a difficult choice. It's not the easy choice, and we have to do it for God's glory. Another thing we see later in the story is that Nehemiah becomes the governor of Jerusalem. And when you're governor, you get all these entitlements, you get all these tons of food and wine and all these things. And Nehemiah kind of said, No, no, I don't need all that. In other words, he sacrificed and just dealt with and went, and got through, got by with just what he needed, not too much, so that he could be a blessing and not a burden. And how many of us need to learn? How many of us need to learn what we can do to be more of a blessing, to make more of a sacrifice? to be a blessing for the people of God and the work of God. People who honor God also recalibrate their lives to the work and mission of God. I see this through the whole story of Nehemiah. He is continually helping the nation of Israel know who they are. You're the people of God. You should honor God. He leads them to a covenant with God. He he reestablishes uh, the faith of God in the people He's continually kind of pushing them back, pushing them back to the Lord. In fact, there's a season at the end of the story where Nehemiah goes away for a few years. And when he comes back, he finds some things out of order. And he's frustrated. And here's Nehemiah going, all right, get back over there. Get that junk out of there. Let's do this. Let's do the right thing. He's constantly helping his people recalibrate their hearts to the heart of God. Which, by the way, that's what we have to do every day. I don't know about your walk with Jesus, but mine kind of goes like this. Does yours go like that? I'm on top of the world. Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm faithful. You're good. And, oh, I start trusting myself. Oh, I start struggling in sin. Oh, I start having doubts and fear. Life is like this with God. Relationships can go like this with the Lord. We constantly have to tell ourselves, I know who I am. We sang it this morning. I know who I am. I know what your word says I can do and who I am according to your word, not according to me, not according to my opinion. We have to continually move ourselves back to God, to the things of God, to the work of God, to the mission of God. By the way, that's what church is for. I'm hoping that there's something in the music and in the prayers and in something that's spoken here by somebody that you walk away and go, yeah, I I need to do that more. I, I need to do that thing more. Nehemiah prayed more, I need to pray more. That's the purpose, that we're recalibrating our hearts and our lives. That's what city groups are for. When we share authentically, we live in our lives in such a way that people can see how we're really doing, they can, re- they can help us recalibrate. No, man, move this way back towards God. You're trusting yourself. You're trusting your job. You're trusting your need for this. Move back towards God. That's the purpose of the church and the people of God. Here's the second thing on the card. Nehemiah stood against his enemies. I mean, from the moment that he literally leaves the citadel, he has enemies. From the moment, Nehemiah 2.10 says this, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Here's his enemies. Here are the ones that are going to stand against the work of God. From the beginning of his mission, he had enemies. All the way to the end of his mission, chapter 6. Verse 14 speaks about opposition. Chapter 6, verse 15, speaks about how he completes the wall. I thought that was so interesting. In other words, until the mission was complete, he had enemies, he had opposition he had to deal with. And until your mission is complete, you're gonna have enemies and opposition that you have to deal with. Well, what is my mission? My mission as a believer in Jesus is to know him and make him known. And until I take my last breath on this earth and take my first breath in heaven, I'll have opposition. The enemy will be against me. He'll want to kill me. He'll want to discourage me. It'll be a fight with your wife. It'll be finances. It'll be something at your job. And you may not even recognize it for the battle that it is. But trust me, you have an enemy this morning. He hates you. And we have to acknowledge that it's very real and we have to be ready. Nehemiah knew that he had an enemies and he, he took some, uh, some uh, measures to deal with those enemies as we should, Nehemiah chapter four verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that, that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. Was he focused on getting that wall built? I mean, that was his plan. That was God's desire for the nation of Israel, for the city of Jerusalem. And nothing was going to keep him from it, not threat of war. Not threat of a fight. He said, okay, we'll fight. I'll put my sword on. I got my hammer over here, right? I don't know. Uh, They're expecting arrows coming in. They've got coats of mail. I mean, he had these enemies, and yet it didn't slow his focus or or mess up the focus that he had on what God wanted to do with his life. As believers, we got to know that the enemy's coming after us. We got to know it. And we got to be ready. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish Have you been going through some suffering? Have you been walking through some junk in your life? Listen, this says God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Do you feel hope in that? That's exactly the story of Nehemiah. God used Nehemiah to come into this city and to restore it and confirm it and strengthen it and establish it. And that's what God wants to do in our lives, but we have to be ready for the fight, I, the thing I like about Nehemiah is he's a realist and he's also a spiritualist. I mean, there's there's an a very aspect of the reality of the fight and his enemy, and the very uh, aspect of the reality of the fact that God is real, and I'm trusting in the Lord. He said, "God, I'm, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to have my sword ready if I've got to fight, but I'm trusting you to win the war." Look what it says, Nehemiah 4:13. I stationed people by their clans, by their families, with their swords their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. See, he's speaking in this reality conversation, reality language. Don't be afraid of them. Have your swords and spears, very real instruments of war. But then he steps over into the spirituality. Look here. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And back into the reality piece of the things that are tangible, right? Man, he says, fight for your brothers your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. Drop down to verse 20, it says, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. In other words, wherever you are in the city, wherever you are on the wall, if you hear the trumpet, come fight with us. It's the reality of the fight. Be ready to fight and we're gonna fight for all that matters to us, we will fight. But then he says in the very last part of that verse, our God will fight for us. He's got this firm grasp and reality and yet spirituality. So let me ask you about your fight. Do you have some some measures in place to fight your fight? Guys, are you struggling with pornography? Do you have people who who hold you accountable? Do you have software on your computer that helps keep that junk away from your eyes and from your heart? Ladies, do you have things in place, friends, that can help you stay away from the struggles that you're walking through? Encourage you in the deep spots where you really hurt and, and you struggle having the faith that God wants you to have. See, we have to put these measures, these strongholds in place for the very real battles we fight, but we also have to trust that God is with us, right? We don't just say, well, God's with me. I'm not gonna worry about it. Yeah, I struggle with pornography, but God's with me and he'll help me. No, we take our, our sword, we take the Bible, we take some tools and we help protect the struggle that we have and we say as well, God, will you be with me in this fight? Friends, do you feel the urgency of this fight? Look look what he says when he says, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Do you feel the urgency in that? Guys, this is a serious fight. We we may die today. So men, when you fight, I want you to be inspired by something that means everything to you. Your wives, your sons, your daughters, your homes. Men, you're still in a fight. Women, you're still in a fight. We've just forgotten that we're in the fight. And so we hide behind uh, anonymity and secrecy. We hide in these places that we think will be okay instead of bringing these things before the Lord. Confessing before the Lord, having people help us encourage us but we're still in a fight for all those things for our brothers our sons our daughters our wives and our homes are you in the fight do you recognize that you have an enemy against you notice this all of his enemies they weren't all just out there out on the other side of the wall some of them are really close you heard the the phrase that says uh, keep your friends close keep your enemies closer you heard that phrase That's because some of our enemies are some of our closest friends at times. Sometimes the the greatest wound in your heart and in your life will be from people you've loved the most. When the enemy is close, and this is what I'm referring to in Nehemiah, there were some leaders in the city that were gouging some of their land uh, dealings. They were taking advantage of the situation with the war and the fight to make money. And Nehemiah was saying, hey, listen, don't do that. It's wrong. Some people he was close to, some leaders. He didn't just kind of wink at us. It, oh, no big deal, guys. Just don't do that anymore. No, he did the right thing. Sometimes our enemies will be closer than we think. Here's the next thing for your card. Nehemiah was a great leader, and this is one of the things I absolutely love about this story. What makes a great leader? Man, read the book of Nehemiah. Obviously, we can't read through the whole thing this morning. But, but read through this story with the lens of leadership. The first thing I see about Nehemiah as a leader is this. He's a man of action. He takes initiative. I mean, as soon as he hears what's going on, he says, I'm going to do something about this. He prays. He seeks the Lord. He has a plan. But he does something. He doesn't just go, well, Jerusalem sure was a nice place. I, I'll, I'll remember that with fond memories. Adios. I guess I'm Persian now. It's not what he did. He did something. You know, I've got this saying. I've said it for years and years, and I believe it with all my heart. If God gives you the eyes to see an issue, something that's wrong, something that can be better, something that can be fixed, if he truly gives you the eyes to see that thing, he's also giving you the responsibility to fix it. I believe that. If God is giving the eyes to see something that's wrong, that can be fixed, that can be helped, he's also giving you the responsibility to take initiative and do it. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, our lives begin to end the day that we become silent about the things that matter. Isn't that the truth? When we see something that should change and we just, I didn't see that, I don't wanna do anything, I'll just stay complacent. I'll stay passive. No! People who honor God, who wanna be godly leaders are not afraid to step up, even if we get it wrong sometimes and make a difference, be people of action. Nehemiah didn't just weep, he chose to move, he chose to risk, he said he was very afraid before the king and he was walking into a battle zone and yet he led because he thought he could make a difference. This is next thing here, he had had a plan uh, that he took to the king, he was prepared. Great leaders are gonna have some sort of preparation, some sort of vision. I, I love this, in that section of scripture, Nehemiah 2, six through eight. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But the, the king sees that he's depressed and the king says, hey, what's going on? And he tells him, why wouldn't I be depressed and sad because my, the land of my father's graves is in ruin. And, and he says, well, what are you asking? He shoots up the prayer. Notice how prepared Nehemiah is because the king says, well, how long will you be gone? Well, Nehemiah gives him a time frame. The king said, well, give me a budget of time. And Nehemiah goes, okay, here's how long. And the king says, okay. And then Nehemiah goes, "Uh, if it pleases the king, right? He's got this plan in his back pocket. If you're going to be a leader, you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a vision. You've got to have a faith in your soul that something can change. And you've got to be able to see that change to lead you from where you are to where that change happens. That's what Nehemiah saw. He saw a city restored. And he said, excuse me, king, also, if you don't mind, would you give me a letter that gives me safe passage all the way to Judah? And would you also give me a letter that gives me all the wood and resources from the forest that helped me rebuild the wall and the city and all the things that need to be rebuilt? He had a plan. He spoke that plan, and God honored and gave him all the things that he needed. Here's the next thing we see about great leaders. They rally others. They don't bark orders. They rally others. They don't bark orders. You ever worked for that guy? (laughs) You know the guy I'm talking about, don't you? Come on, it's all about him. He's Mr. Ego. He loves position. He loves power, and he wants to make sure you understand that you don't have it, right? I'm not fond of that guy. That's not who Nehemiah is in this story. Not at all. In fact, let's look and see what kind of character Nehemiah has as a leader. Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18. Then I said to them, this is Nehemiah speaking, you see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that, has been, that uh, had been upon me for good and also of the words of the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Do, do you hear that language of we? Nehemiah didn't live in Jerusalem. He's not part of the We? He's not part of the us, in a sense, for the city. Yet he chooses as a leader to place himself in the mess and make it his own. He chooses himself as a leader to get down in the muck and the mire of the junk and go, now, hey, guys, how are we going to fix our problem? How are we going to move our vision forward? This is us language. It's we language. And he's, he does it beautifully. And they get it. And they're inspired to move forward together. Together. I, I, he doesn't point fingers. Let me tell you, Zerubbabel was a guy that led the first group of people out of exile, from exile back to Jerusalem, rebuilt the temple. The, the, the 70 years before this. Ezra had come back 13 years before this. You don't see Nehemiah going, "Why didn't you guys rebuild the walls?" You had 70 years. you had 13 years you've had what's going on? You know He doesn't point fingers. Instead, he just takes ownership of what needs to be done. That's a great leader. I don't have time to worry about anybody else. I just know that this is what God has called me to, and we're going to get busy working and making it better. He owned the problem. I love chapter 3 in Nehemiah. It's the only chapter like it in the Bible. If you look at chapter 3, the whole chapter is Nehemiah writing out the credit of who took what part of the wall. What family took what part of the wall? It's beautiful. It's kind of like, hey, the Johnsons are going to take from you know, the gas station to the, this side of their yard, right? And the Phillips are going to take that side of their yard all the way to the Kmart. And then they're that's what they did. And he put their name to the responsibility of what they would fix and what they would do, what they took ownership of. And they did it together. It was beautiful. Can I just say, South City, we need to learn from this? Can we learn from this example? God has gifted unique leaders over the years for for this church and other churches and given them unique responsibilities, but we, we don't see that the wall is going to be built by Nehemiah. It's going to be led by Nehemiah and built by the people together. We need to do this together. Let me tell you what we're building. We're not building a wall here. We're building a church. We're making disciples. We're investing in a community. We're serving our community. We're loving each other. Come help us. There is a job for every one of you. Some of you say, well, I'm too old or I'm too this. or I'm No, 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 come on. There's something you can do. There's something that you can do to serve. We need you to take part of the wall. We need you to take part of this project and say, hey, I'm going to own this part of the project, and I'm going to do my part, and I'm going to lead here. This is something for all of us to do. The problem is the Western church has for too long said, no, serve me. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not going to go to that church. There's not enough hip people at that church. You guys don't have fog. You don't have, the, the music is too loud or the music is, loud, is not loud enough or the pastor is just, you know, he wears weird jackets. <laughs> Whatever the case may be, the Western church has put up all these barriers to what involvement looks like, but that's not family, is it? Family says, we're all people. From all different walks of life, from different sides of the track, from different political views who choose to love each other and spread the gospel of Jesus to this community. Something else is Nehemiah as a leader, he wanted to make change, not just be in charge. He wanted to make change, not just be in charge. He he, he led from the inside out. We don't see in the story at all anywhere any type of entitlement, pride, or position for Nehemiah. Nothing it reminds me of what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 20, verse 25. It says, but Jesus called to them, the disciples, and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Right, lord it, exercise authority. He, Jesus says in verse 26, it shall not be so among you, my disciples. That's not the way it's gonna be for disciples. It says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Jesus turned power and position on its head there's a book we just finished reading as a staff called lead like Jesus and it's one of my favorite leadership and business books there is and it's it's a study of how Jesus led the disciples And the whole concept is leadership is not about money, power, and position. Leadership is about serving other people, rallying people to their dreams and their giftings. It's about bringing people together to accomplish a goal. It's not top down. It's bottom up. And yet our country seems to have it all backwards. And Nehemiah had it right from the beginning. Nehemiah was motivated to rebuild this wall in this city not for some personal gain. Do you see that? He did it for the glory of God and the good of that city. A couple of other things I noticed about Nehemiah's leadership ability. God lays on Nehemiah's heart to assemble people in the city as he's rebuilding the city by families. I couldn't help but think about the, the way we talk about family of families around here. You'll hear us say this phrase, we're a family of families. Here's the reality. No city, no community, and no church can flourish or thrive without good families. It won't work. That's not God's design. Without God, good families, it won't work. The community, the city and the church all have to flourish and thrive because of good families, godly families in the order and in the, in the, the framework that he designed for us. And that's the way Nehemiah begins to fill the city of Jerusalem. Notice this, the good leader inspires people to finish the task in spite of some challenges you think you had a rough time having to work on Saturday, right? I'm always complaining and whining because I've got to have a full-time, more than full-time job, and yet also I'm trying to go to school. It's hard. And be a dad and all, I'm complaining about different things all the time. But these folks had to literally have a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. And yet as a leader, somehow he helped them focus on what mattered most. And he led them to do something absolutely incredible. Unbelievable. He inspired these people to do something unbelievable. Can I just tell you, if we want God to do something incredible and unbelievable and miraculous at South City, it's not going to be easy. We've already had our bumps in the road. We'll continue to have our bumps in the road. It's not going to be easy. We're going to all need to sacrifice. We're going to all need to go, I guess the wall in my backyard, I guess I'll deal with that. I'll I'll take that. This is about all of us doing the work. It's about all of us stepping up to serve. It's about all of us saying, yeah, city groups is the strategy for community and care. I'm going to be a part of a city group or legacy group. I'm going to do that because that's where my church is going and what it needs to do. It's about saying, hey, you know what? My church needs help in giving, and I want to do what God's called me to do. I want to give. I want to do my part as part of our family. Hey, you know what? I'm going to be at church. I'm going to have my attendance in church. Is going to matter. And can I just tell you something? It matters. Your attendance here matters. It's not for my ego. God forbid. It's about me patting myself on the back or any of us as leaders or, or staff. Your attendance here is to encourage people who don't know Jesus to know they're loved and they're with a group of people who want to help them. Do you see that? Our attendance in city group and our attendance is here... It matters so much. It ought to be at the top of your life. It doesn't mean that we're going to be legalistic. It doesn't mean we don't have family things and occasional vacations and things that we do. But it means that church and following God with our lives and his people is a priority. Look at Hebrews 10, 23, and 24, and 25. And tell me if it's not a priority to be with God's people. It's not going to be easy. I'm not saying it's easy to be committed to those things but it is what God will use for us to become the church he wants us to be and the people he wants us to be. He led these people to do something incredible. The wall was built in 52 days. Can you imagine? It was such a feat that the enemies of Nehemiah said, well, clearly God was involved in this. (laughs) I love that. Can you imagine? I just was thinking about this this morning. I was praying. Can you imagine some drug dealers in southwest Little Rock? right? Some pimps. Some gang members, some, some bad people going, I don't know what God's doing in South City, but he's over there. That's what I want to have happen. I want the enemy to know that God is alive and well in Southwest Little Rock and in this church and in your life and in my life, not just saying something, doing it. They didn't just build a wall, friends. This story, in, uh, when I think about Sunday school and the felt board, right, it's about the wall. This story's not just about a wall. Yes, the wall matters, but he also helped reestablish a city. He placed families in the city. He also reassembled from all over the known world a nation. He also reinstituted a faith that was all but lost and helped people come back to covenant relationship with God. It was a big deal. God used Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem for his glory, and it caused a spiritual awakening in Israel that is, to this day, celebrated. So here's the thing. Is that close? God uses different people for different reasons. They have unique gifts, and each one of you sitting where you are have unique gifts. God has gifted you uniquely to do something that no one else can do but you. So my question is, has God given you eyes to see something that needs to be done? Because if he's given you those eyes to see a need at South City or in Southwest Little Rock that we can help you with, then he's also given you the responsibility to get it done. I believe that. So what do we learn from Nehemiah's story this morning? We learn that he's a man who honored God. He prayed continually. He knew that God was in control and he could just shoot up a prayer or he could weep, but his life was walked in consistent prayer. He honored God with his life in many ways. He also, like Braveheart, he was willing to fight. He was willing to strap on a sword and build. It didn't take the focus off what mattered most. He was willing to fight his enemy. He was brave, and he was willing to build. He was willing to take the time to invest in people, to lead them, to accomplish all that God had laid on his heart and all that God had planned for him to do. Butler, Braveheart, Builder, I'm not sure which of those you are, but God uses all of them. So what would he lay on your heart to do at South City Church? What ministry would he lay on your heart to do overseas? What would he lay on your soul to say, this is for you to do? What is it? Because he needs all of you listening, praying, seeking, and responding to that thing so that we can make a difference in this city, in this world, for the cause of Christ. Amen? Pray with me. Father God, Lord, thank you for this story of Nehemiah about just a simple guy who was a servant and yet a bold and strong leader. just reminds me, Lord, that there can be no great leaders who are not willing to serve first. God, I'm so thankful for this story that teaches us to be brave, to have a, a one foot in reality of what we need to do to fight the enemy and also one foot in spirituality and trusting you and and wrestling with the things we struggle with. God, surround our people with help and with prayer and with community that they might know you and serve you and love you and seek you more than they ever have. And God, would you give us the courage and the wherewithal and the eyes to see and the heart to respond and the hands and the feet to get to work. Lord, would you help us as Christians to see that this life is not about us and our happiness? Jesus, please remove this Western first world disease of what's important to me out of my view that I can see what's most important to you, God. Give me courage, Lord. Give us courage, Lord, together to do what you called us to do. To make a difference right here in this city in this community, even on this property God, we've seen the beautiful faces of Life Skills for Youth and we want to walk in faith that you have a plan to see those kids know Jesus, to see those families whole flourishing not because of South City, because of Jesus because of the life you give us Lord I don't know what the takeaway for these folks is today but I'm confident that your word will speak to each of us where it needs to be spoken to and it will not return void God would you inspire us to make a difference would you help us to take initiative to step out of comfortable and into responsible out of passivity or into following serving, trusting working for you Jesus' precious name.